Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. Really, in order to find quality care, you often have to be on a wait list that's months long. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. The aggressive advocates who were looking to overrule Roe for so long, they really had no idea of the consequences they might be opening up. In this case, there very well may be charges that are appropriate. For example, trying to obstruct an official proceeding of Congress, right? That is unlawful. This is KCBS In-Depth. We're more than three years out now from the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's fair to say that we have made some progress in taming this disease. A combination of vaccines, treatments, and natural immunity have combined together to drive down the daily death rate to a fraction of what it was during the Omicron surge. But when it comes to long COVID, answers have been much harder to find. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, broadcasting throughout the Bay Area and streaming on the Odyssey app. I'm Keith Menconi. It's the health crisis within a health crisis, long COVID, the illness that lingers on even after the acute symptoms from the virus have gone away. We covered long COVID about a year ago on this program, and it would be nice if this were a show that had some major update, you know, maybe a breakthrough on treatments or major new insights on what's causing the disease. But the truth is... Research is moving slow. A lot of work is in the pipeline, but it could take years to bear fruit. What has changed, though, is that, well, another year has gone by, meaning that many suffering from long COVID have had to live for another year with the chronic fatigue or shortness of breath or memory loss or any number of other potentially debilitating ailments associated with this bewildering disease. For many, it has been a heavy burden to bear. So today on the program, We're going to discuss what support actually is out there with someone who's been working to provide that support for several years at this point. That would be Jim Jackson, a neuropsychologist at Vanderbilt University. He and his team created the country's first psychologist-led COVID support groups, and he's just written a new book called Clearing the Fog, which aims to help COVID patients and their families better navigate life with this illness. Jim Jackson, welcome to the program. It's really a pleasure to be here with you, Keith. Thank you. Absolutely. So for those of us who have been lucky enough to avoid long COVID, open a window into that world. What kind of challenges are patients running into as they seek support and treatment? 
it's a world of of huge challenges. It's a it's a world inhabited, by the way, by probably 200 million people around the globe. It's a large population of people with long COVID, and uh, when you engage them, um, some of them look very disabled. Some of them talk about what they call invisible disability. That makes it complicated because they often are quite impaired, even though some of them don't look it. But they are people who are often profoundly fatigued. They often are deeply discouraged and who wouldn't be. They often have brain injuries and associated cognitive problems. Those problems are severe enough to derail them literally every day. And often they have mental health challenges like PTSD because this has been very traumatic. So there are people who don't have the advocacy on a national level that we would like. Um, they are people who, particularly since May 11th, uh, often feel ignored. Uh, they are people in need of our help, and uh, we're doing our best to provide it. Yeah, referencing there the uh, drawdown of the federal COVID emergency. We've seen state-level drawdowns as well here in California. And what you're speaking to really points to a, a broad-scale sense of frustration. And I, I really want to tap into that frustration a little bit later on in the conversation. Uh, we're going to hear more about uh, why, where that frustration is coming from. Talk a little bit more, if you could, though, about what patients are running into when they try to find treatment. Because that, that's one of the uh, difficult features of long COVID is that there is no clear-cut diagnostic tool for this. There's no way to definitively say this is definitely long COVID, this is definitely not long COVID. So a lot of folks are running into uh, skepticism, and I think that that makes the, the healing journey or the, the journey of finding support even more difficult. They are running into incredible skepticism, so much so that some of them have have calculated the cost benefit and they have decided, you know, I'm not going to tell one more healthcare provider about this because I don't want to be dismissed and minimized for the 53rd time. Um, so often people don't pursue help because they've been burned before. And I think um, that's very logical. I understand why people feel that way. Um, talking about COVID is, is a challenge. And one of the reasons it's a challenge is because we talk about it as if it is a single thing, someone has long COVID. In truth, there are probably many manifestations of long COVID. There are forms of long COVID that have a primary cognitive dimension, that have a primary fatigue-related dimension, that have a primary mental health-related dimension. And all of those different forms of long COVID um, require different approaches to treatment, require different approaches to management. So when people say, there's absolutely no treatment for long COVID. It's a little more nuanced than that. The fatigue, for instance, has been very difficult to tackle. The cognitive problems often respond quite well to cognitive rehabilitation, for instance, but that's the best kept secret that no one really knows about. You know, thoughtful, sophisticated consumers, many of the people with long COVID, they've never heard of cognitive rehab before. No one's ever told them about cognitive rehab before. No one's ever told them that PTSD treatment is very effective. So treatment is hard to find, even the treatment that works. And I think there are, of course, many symptoms that we can't treat at all. There's certainly not a single therapeutic that we can give that will transform the lives of all people with long COVID. And I think that's been frustrating and discouraging to many. 
Yeah, well, we're we're definitely going to have time to expand on a lot of those points uh, throughout the conversation. But um, let's just, I suppose, in a nutshell, try to give listeners a sense of what kind of support is out there. Uh, We mentioned at the top that you and your team created the country's first psychologist-led long COVID support groups. What kind of support can folks find there? And, and, And what other sorts of resources are you hoping to link long COVID sufferers up with? Absolutely. Um, We have a panel of five support groups at Vanderbilt. They meet every week. We engage close to 100 patients. We've got a waiting list of 55 or 60 people. We could lead another five. We could probably lead another 10 every week. That's how great the demand is. And those support groups are really useful and I think therapeutic because often with long COVID, people feel profoundly alone. They feel very alone. So there's something really beneficial about being part of a community where other people say, hey, I've got you, I get you, I get this, and where people are improving in many cases, and that's encouraging. Um, That dynamic exists in a support group. People find support, they need support. Um, In the therapeutic arena, I mentioned cognitive rehabilitation, but as a psychologist, there are a variety of strategies that we use that are often helpful to many as well. There's something we use called acceptance and commitment therapy. It doesn't mean, by the way, that you can and should happily accept that your life has been derailed. Um, It does mean that there are ways to find meaning and value in your new life, and that takes time. It's not a simple thing. So we rely on acceptance and commitment therapy. Other people find it effective. Um, Some people are reluctant to engage psychologists because the fear is psychologists will say some version of, this is just in your head. I would emphatically say, it's not just in your head. It is absolutely not just in your head, not remotely. And with that being said, mental health professionals can provide strategies and ways of support that are really empowering. But often people are reluctant to disclose mental health problems because they're afraid doctors will say, see, I told you so, it's all in your head. And we need to move past that stigma and be a little kinder to our long COVID survivors. All right. For anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Benconi. Today in the program, long COVID remains largely a mystery. We're getting advice on how to live with it. Uh, Joining us for that, speaking right there with Jim Jackson, a neuropsychologist at Vanderbilt University, also the author of the new book called Clearing the Fog, A Practical Guide to Living with Long COVID. All right. Well, to fill in this picture that we're getting a little bit more, we're going to invite on next someone who unfortunately has firsthand experience with an extreme case of long COVID. That's Charlie McCone, a patient advocate who has been dealing with the illness since March of 2020. Um, Charlie McCone, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Keith. Yeah, well, thank you very much for making the time for us and uh, being generous and sharing your story. It is uh, a very eye-opening story for just uh, how extreme your symptoms have been. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience, if you could. Yeah, um, I first got long COVID back in March 2020 in the first wave, and I had, by all you know, intents and purposes, a fairly you know what would describe as a mild case. Um, however, um, it's after you know, four weeks, my symptoms were not going away. And um, I spent, you know, the whole first year wondering when my symptoms were going to go away. And I spent the whole second year wondering my whole, when my symptoms were going to go away. I spent the first 18 months, more or less, trying to work through my symptoms. I was largely housebound, but I could work remotely. 
Um, you know, I could go for a 10 minute walk, but before that I was biking 10 miles a day, uh, to work, working full time. Um, but I, the first year I was, uh, two, uh, two years until this day, completely debilitated by chronic, uh, uh, shortness of breath, uh, uh, severe fatigue, a constant high heart rate, which is des uh, described as, as POTS. Um, and then, uh, the second year I was reinfected with Delta and I just became, uh, completely, you know, essentially bed bound for the second year. I had to stop working and I have made some small improvements, but I still can now only have about two productive hours a day and I'm, uh, severely disabled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really sorry for what you're going through. And, uh, also, uh, for the fact that it, it seems like at this point, there just are so few answers for folks in your position. Um, I, I spoke with you a little bit before we turned the mics on here, and I know that that's a source of frustration for you as well and something that you have advocated uh, on uh, as well. Uh, you are also, we should mention, a, a patient representative at the National Institute of Health. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, your frustration on the front of the pace of research into long COVID, uh, what you feel like you, you'd want to see more of there. Yeah, I think, you know, despite the fact that my life is essentially a living nightmare, um, the fact that you could probably talk to me and I don't look sick, um, the fact that I, you know, can appear normal for a few days makes it harder to convey the reality to what we're going through to people that our quality of life is so unfathomably low. Having said hmm. that, my biggest frustrations right now are not my symptoms on the day-to-day. -day. There are two things. One is I still hear every week from people who say, hey, I was healthy. I was vaccinated. I took Paxlovid, but I still have symptoms two to three months later. What is this? People still have no idea that they can get long COVID, hmm. even if they were an infected beforehand, if they uh, were, were, were vaccinated, and if they took Paxlovid. And it's still happening at an alarming rate. So people are going through the same exact experience with no prior hand knowledge, three years after the event happened to me. That's number one. There's still no uh, public warning that this can happen to people in, his, in, his, in any sort of robust manner. That is slightly changing, but not nearly enough. The second, yeah. uh, there are now over 10,000 studies documenting biological abnormalities uh, with long COVID. As Eric Topol said, one of the top leading cardiologists in America, we are very long on mechanisms with long COVID and we are very short with treatments. So now the fact that we are three years after this and we still have zero approved treatments is excruciating because we have probably 100 promising leads. And I think uh, some of the uh, therapies and uh, uh, ideas that Dr. Jackson is proposing is definitely among them, but we have not tested them, any of them. And so that is what is so excruciating, frustrating is that the pace of research is moving to solve this problem in 10 to 20 years. But my question is, well, what are we going to do for the millions of people who can continue to develop this condition every single year? And we have so many promising case studies, so many promising treatments that we are just not getting to the bottom of. And we, we need to put tools in doctors' hands today. Yeah. Uh, we, we could mention that the federal government is uh, putting forward a little bit over a billion dollars in an initiative called the uh, Researching COVID to Enhance Recovery uh, Initiative um, that itself has uh, faced uh, some measure of criticism for exactly where that money is going, how the uh, grants are being allocated. Uh, again, folks saying that more urgency is uh, needed. Uh, Jim Jackson, I know that this is something that you have spoken out on yourself as well. Any thoughts that you'd want to add there? 
Well, I would really affirm and second Charlie's uh, courageous words, which are exactly on point. I think it's worth noting that we created, discovered, employed, whatever, a vaccine in record time. You know, there was this, there was this national commitment to doing that. It was quite remarkable. And I think, sadly, it feels like we've lacked the same quite hot, intense urgency to solve this problem, which is a huge problem. It's a gaping hole here that we've got to fix. And um, I think too often what happens is there are some people engaged in research who may not have that much engagement with patients, and they may not understand fully what the face of long COVID looks like. Because Mm -hmm. I, I think when you engage with people like Charlie and many of his peers, you understand there's nothing more urgent than this, right? There's nothing more urgent than this. Uh, we need to drop everything in my way of thinking and engage this. It needs to be priority one, two, three, four. You know, I could go down the list. It needs to be at the top. And uh, I think we are doing millions and millions of people a disservice by slow walking this in the way that we have. Uh, long COVID patients deserve better than that. Well, let's talk about what is happening on the treatment front. Uh, What looks the most promising to you? Uh, I know that a lot of your work concerns the mental health side, the cognitive side, but wherever you want to take this, where do you see the most promise right now in terms of finding effective treatments for long COVID? Um, I think in the cognitive arena, um, there is particular hope. There are some therapeutic strategies using medications like guamfacine that have been tried and and early returns I think are promising. There is cognitive rehabilitation, which has been shown to be very effective in the context of brain injuries. It's often developed um, and delivered by SLPs, speech and language pathologists. When we engage patients in cognitive rehab, which is what they would get if they had a brain injury, by the way, which is I think how we need to think about this rather than brain fog, patients often do better. So whether it is a therapeutic or often my choice, cognitive rehabilitation, we do see people's cognitive functioning get better. And um, that's really meaningful. That can improve quality of life. So on the cognitive front, I'm quite hopeful. Well, I want to give Charlie McCone a chance to respond. And uh, just to set this up real quick, um, I I know that he and a lot of other long COVID patients have a certain amount of skepticism when it comes to uh, treatments that focus on cognitive or physical therapy, you know, rather than uh, medical treatments. And I I think that at least some of that relates to, you know, what we were talking about earlier, this notion that if we're moving the focus to mental health or physical issues, uh, to coping, uh, we might be undermining the case that these patients have been making that, you know, they are really sick and there is a genuine disease that they have that needs to be cured. Um, uh, Charlie, if you could uh, expand on that. Yeah. As I said earlier, there are now thousands of studies documenting the biological abnormalities found in long COVID. And what we see is three different buckets that are continuing to come up. We're seeing uh, an overwhelming evidence of of viral persistence. We're seeing uh, overwhelming evidence of people are having a hypercoagulable state with endothelial dysfunction. means we're having clotting issues and blood vessels aren't functioning right. And we're seeing an overwhelming evidence of immune dysregulation. And so the implications of all those is that we really need to, to test whether therapies like uh, antivirals, antithrombotics, immune modulators are working. And there are already case studies uh, demonstrating success on that. 
And that's why we need clinical trials immediately. And I think once we have clinical trials that are offering patients afropharmaceuticals, they're going to be much more open to trying things that are trying a more sophisticated approach to uh, cognitive uh, rehabilitation and, and, and physical therapy. And I think that's because in the past that um, these therapies have been weaponized against patients. And so uh, they've been weaponized to say that this disease is not real because they respond to soft therapies. They've been weaponized to stalt research. However, I do believe that there are probably many valid, more sophisticated therapies that can work in adjunct to helping patients. And I think if, if they're being offered actual pharmaceuticals, we're going to be much less skittish and much less hesitant to uh, embracing um, the, the full spectrum of therapies that are going to be needed to get patients back to, to full recovery. I, I think that's a fair point. I, I very much think of it as both and. I, I, I think um, there's a way to focus on the development of uh, pharmaceutical approaches, even as we're doing for these brain injured patients with long COVID, what we typically do for brain injured patients. You know, brain injured patients, the gold standard is they receive cognitive rehabilitation. Um, it's pretty powerful when you see the impact of it. Many of our patients uh, improve with it. And emphatically, that doesn't mean that we should stop uh, the development of drugs. It doesn't mean that we should stop the work in the laboratory, not remotely, but even as we're engaged in that, um, we should treat these patients like we treat brain injured patients, respectfully, thoughtfully, and with rehabilitation-based approaches uh, with doctors' recommendations, and they often can be empowering and I think very hopeful. All right. For anybody, again, just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Manconi. Today on the program, we're hearing about what it means to be suffering from long COVID in 2023 and what support is out there. Joining us for that conversation, we just heard from Jim Jackson, neuropsychologist at Vanderbilt University, also the author of the new book, uh, Clearing the Fog, A Practical Guide to Living with Long COVID. And we heard earlier from Charlie McCone, a San Francisco resident who's been living with a severe case of long COVID since March of 2020. Uh, Jim Jackson, you, you also write movingly about your own experience with OCD and how you've come to be able to you know, confront that fact about your life and still find a lot of meaning in this life that you're living. And um, the lessons there, uh, I think, uh, hold a lot of value for, for all of us, but also for folks with long COVID. I appreciate you mentioning that, Keith. Um, in 2018, quite abruptly, during a really stressful season in my life, I developed OCD and a pretty severe case at that. I had no idea what it was, went to see my psychologist. And uh, in so many words, she said, you have OCD. And I said, oh, okay, let's get rid of it. And she said, well, it's not quite so simple. You may have to live with it. And I was uh, angry. I was insulted, all the things. It didn't even seem possible, this notion of, of living a meaningful life with it. it. Took me about a year to wrap my head around the idea that that was even possible. And I realized that while I wanted treatment for OCD, while I badly wanted my symptoms to go away, while I continue to strive for therapeutic treatment, that I could find a way to have a meaningful life, live according to my values, even with OCD. Want to emphasize, again, this is no simple thing. And it's no simple thing to say to long COVID patients, 
hey, find a way to live with this. I'm not casual about that at all, not remotely. But um, many of our patients, we are seeing them find meaning, find moments of meaning, find um, ways of relating, if you will, to a new normal that they didn't want, that they don't ask for. And even as we are pushing aggressively and hard for therapeutics, we are, I think, sending a message to people that is a hopeful message. And that is, let's embrace the idea that even in the midst of this suffering, you can find a meaningful life. You can find a way to live a meaningful life. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we are coming up towards the close of the program and want to give some uh, closing thoughts to uh, both of you. Uh, Charlie McCone, if, if we were going to address um, folks out there who... Uh, as we've been kind of hinting at, it, there does seem to be this disconnect in understanding about long COVID. So if we're, if we're talking about to folks that have not been thinking about this so much um, and, and specifically focused on ways that you would hope people would show more support to those suffering from long COVID, what message would you want to get out there? How could, uh, how could the rest of society be more supportive to uh, folks like you who have uh, really been debilitated by this illness? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question. I think we just have to take some stock we have had, you know, a senator just resign because of long COVID. We have another senator with long COVID. We've had a major league baseball player take a year off because of long COVID. We have an NHL all-star who had just had to stop. We have celebrities who have long COVID. This is an indiscriminate condition. And what we need to understand is that we, COVID is going to continue to unrelentlessly haunt us until we have treatments for long COVID. This is not going away. <laughs> I wish it was. If this was just my specific uh you know, disease, I probably would not be sharing about it to the extent I would or be talking about it here today. Um, but we all need to start asking questions. What happens if uh, myself or a loved one get long COVID? People need to be start asking the representatives, their doctors, what are you doing to treat this last aspect that continues to, to threaten us on, a, on our daily lives? And I think um, that is, there's still not a good response uh, on on any front on that level. And that is something I think ev everyday people uh, need to start asking their, their physicians and their representatives, what's their plan for this? And what are they going to have answers? Because this is something that is going to be in the back of everybody's mind uh, until until that happens. And uh, Jim Jackson, your thoughts as well. What, what What forms of support would you like to see more from the general public? Yeah, I, I appreciate the question. Um, the support group model that we started, um, I thought it would be widely adopted by medical centers across the country, and it really hasn't. Um, there are good reasons, I'm sure, for that. But I think things like support groups are critical. Um, I think destigmatizing things like mental health are critical. You know, many long COVID patients, whether it is due to brain inflammation or whether it is due to the normal effects of losing a job and being disabled, they grapple with depression, they grapple with PTSD, but we stigmatize them so that they're reluctant to say that. They're very reluctant to say it. And, and of course they would be. So I think one thing providers need to do, they need to do a better job, healthcare providers, of creating an environment where people can be open and vulnerable without any shame, without any fear of consequence or recourse that's something we need to do. I think the other thing quickly is you may not know Charlie, but believe it or not, there are people, as Charlie said, whose stories are the same as his. They're your next door neighbors. 
they're your fellow churchgoers, um, they're the parents of the kid that your son or daughter plays ball with, I would say take some time to try to get to know them. Take some time to try to learn their stories. And in so doing, you're too going to be an advocate. You're going to become an advocate because when you hear these stories, you can't do anything else. They're so moving and so harrowing. Get to know people with long COVID. That's what I would say. All right. A lot of important points in there. And we thank you both for uh, sharing those insights with us. Uh, We have been speaking one last time to Jim Jackson, a neuropsychologist at Vanderbilt University, author of the new book called Clearing the Fog, offering a practical guide to living with long COVID. Jim Jackson, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks as well to Charlie McCone, a San Francisco resident who's been living with severe case of long COVID since March of 2020. Charlie McCone, thanks to you as well. Thanks for having me here. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Be well. We'll talk again next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.